for us because we're doing something a little different. I mean, we're talking about, well, let me, let me back up by saying this. We're in the middle of this What I Believe series. The idea is simply this. You know, what if we had an answer for how to respond to people's questions about the spiritual things in our life? Like, what do you believe about God? What do you believe about Jesus, about sin, about grace? What do you believe about the church, about mission, about evangelism? What do you believe about Satan or the reality of evil? I realized through a conversation I had with a friend that, that a lot of times we don't know how to respond to these questions. So the What I Believe series is really a rediscovery of, of theology and the basic principles of Christian life. It's a way for us to take a step back and unpack some of these things. Over the past few weeks, we've talked about what we believe about the Bible, about God's Word. We've talked about what we believe about sin and grace and redemption. We've talked about what we believe about what it means to be a Christian, follower of Christ. Last week, Brian talked about baptism. And this week, we're going to talk about the Lord's Supper. Because the question for us is simply this. What do we believe about these things? I mean, how do they impact our life? And how do we communicate the theological truths behind them? Now, our Lord Jesus actually instituted two sacraments or ordinances. There's two things that he gave the church and told the church to do. The first one is baptism. We heard about it last week. The second one is the Lord's Supper. Those are the two things that we see Jesus Christ telling the church, commanding the church to do. And a lot of traditions call them sacraments. They're really just two things that are ordered or ordained by Jesus himself. They become a very important part of the life of the church. Baptism and the Lord's Supper. The Lord's Supper is really just a way for us to, as a church, to, to remember our constant fellowship with Jesus Christ. And as I started really looking at the questions that lay behind this, I realized that this is a huge thing. I mean, the church has split and divided over the issue of the Lord's Supper. It's something that the church has been practicing for 2,000 years and has caused so many issues and struggles because of its meaning, how you take it, what you do with it. And I began to realize that this is something I, I probably couldn't just spend a few weeks on. I mean, a, few, a week on. I need to spend several weeks really unpacking all this theological kind of meaning. And maybe we'll do that down the road. But for today, what I thought we'd do is we just take a skeleton kind of look at the theological meaning and purpose behind the Lord's Supper, so that as a community, as a family, we could take this meal together, this meal that the Lord Jesus himself said, do this as a body, as a church, and remember me. So I started thinking, where do you begin when you start talking about the Lord's Supper? Well, the Lord's Supper actually goes by, by a bunch of different names throughout history. But the three most common are, the Lord's Supper, communion, and a, and a fancy church word called the Eucharist. Um, different traditions call it different things. I mean, the, the word communion comes from the Greek word koinonia, which just means fellowship. And the word Eucharist comes from the Greek word eucharisteo, which means to give thanks. They're just other ways to say the same thing. The words of the Lord's Supper actually come out of the, the verses we're going to look at today. But they're just different words that mean the same thing. They're all referring to... The bread and the cup, the blood or, or the juice, if you will, the fruit of the vine that we celebrate together. Now, let me catch you up to speed with how we got here in history. I mean, where this thing came from in the first place. The week before the crucifixion of Jesus, the church calls Holy Week or Passion Week. It's really the week in the life 
the last week in the life of Jesus before his crucifixion and his resurrection. A lot of important things take place that week. The Sunday before Easter Sunday is called Palm Sunday. That's the day that Jesus rode into Jerusalem on the foal of a donkey. And the people laid down palm branches, basically fulfilling prophecy that was spoken about the coming Messiah. It was a big celebration at the time because the Passover was going on. That's a big Jewish tradition and festival that we'll get into in another day. But a really important time in the life of Jewish people. And Jesus came riding into town and a whole series of things happened during that week. But we get to Thursday, the day that the Passover meal was to be celebrated. And the disciples look at Jesus and they say, where are we going to celebrate Passover? How do you want us to make preparations? Because people came in from out of town, all over the place, to come to Jerusalem for Passover. They came to celebrate and feast and they came to sacrifice. And so the disciples naturally, had, at some point in time, made this journey for the Passover meal and, and the sacrifices. And they said, Jesus, where are we going to make the preparations, what do you want us to do? And Matthew tells this kind of great story about how Jesus says, go into town and you'll see this man carrying a water jar. Well, men didn't carry water. There's a whole series of really cool things there. You'll see this man carrying the water jar and basically ask him and tell him that the Lord wants you to show us where we're supposed to make preparations and all these things happen. And he leads them to this upper room. And the disciples go there and they begin to make preparations for the Passover meal. And it's during that Passover meal that we see Jesus wash the disciples' feet. Remember that real famous, he removes his outer garments and he washes his disciples' feet. It's during that Passover meal where as they were reclining at the table and being finishing, Jesus takes this bread and he breaks it. And we'll talk a little bit more about that in a minute. But that's where we are. Passover and the Lord's Supper are incredibly closely tied together. And there's a lot of really powerful theological reasons why. God's redemptive plan for through history. I mean, it's just amazing stuff. But the Lord's Supper wasn't an isolated event in history. It was actually a very important part of Jewish tradition that was born in a new covenant, as we're going to talk about in a minute. A covenant that would be shed and sealed in, in Jesus' blood. Now, this morning, we're going to be in the book of 1 Corinthians. So if you've got your Bible, I want you to get there, because we're going to uh, revisit it in a bit. But before I I jump into Corinthians, let me catch up to where we are contextually, because we know now we know where where the Lord's Supper came about historically. But in first Corinthians, we're at a place, a different place in history. So Jesus has been crucified. He's been raised from the dead. And Paul is on these missionary journeys, planting churches. And he's a part of a church plant in, in a city called Corinth. And this church is, well, they're struggling. In fact, most of the book of 1 Corinthians is written as a correction to a bunch of struggles that are happening in the life of that church. The church is actually dividing. They're even arguing over who they should follow. Some are saying, well, I follow Apollos. And some are saying, no, I follow Peter. Some are saying, no, I, I follow you know, Jesus. Or, or I follow Paul. And, and, and they're trying to identify with people and teaching styles. And, and Paul's letter really is, is, a, is correcting their thinking about church. A lot of the church is about unity. A lot of the books about unity and about love. You know, 1 Corinthians 13, real famous love. A lot of that, that book is written about remembering that the church is about being united together and the simplicity of trusting in Jesus Christ and following Him. When we come to the section in chapter 11 where Paul does the same thing, 
And the Corinthian church, there was a lot of argument that was going on surrounding the Lord's Supper. In fact, the church had kind of perverted the Lord's Supper into, on some levels, a, a drunken feast. And they were missing the entire point of what Jesus was trying to teach the church and what they were supposed to remember when they gathered together. So 1 Corinthians 11 is really Paul correcting the church and reminding them of the simple yet powerful meaning behind this meal that we call the Lord's Supper. Now it's important for us to know that because we've got to read, we read the word, we've always got to read it in context. We have to understand what's happening. So the words that Paul shares, he's sharing as a reminder to the church. And I thought, you know what, this is a really great place for us to start. Because for a lot of us, maybe you grew up in church all your life and you've taken communion a gazillion times. Or maybe you're here for the first time and church, you know what, you're just entering into this relationship with Christ and some of these things are the mystery of church that you just don't get. Well, I believe our text this morning will be a great reminder for all of us to rediscover and maybe simply remember the powerful truth and meaning that is behind this Ritual, if you will, that the church just sort of does. And maybe we can restore some of its meaning this morning for a lot of us. So go ahead and grab your Bible if you've got one. We put some of the chairs around you or um, there's one or two left around the tables. And we're going to flip to 1 Corinthians chapter 11 together. Before we get there, let's pray. God, we thank you so much for the opportunity to gather in your presence today. God, we thank you that you love us desperately. And that you call us into a relationship with you. God, this morning we're celebrating the fact that you loved us enough to send your son Jesus to die. To be crucified on a cross. To shed his blood for us. And then be raised from the dead to give us new life. Father, this morning we celebrate this extravagant love. And remind us in a really simple way, God. About how powerful you really are. And that a lot of the things that we do in church and as part of church, well, they lose their meanings if we're not reminded and challenged consciously and consistently to think different. So Lord, remind us, help us rediscover this morning the power and the meaning behind what we're going to share today. We ask these things in Jesus' holy and perfect name. Amen. So I was going to start in 17, but I think I'm going to start in 23 for the sake of trying on some level to be brief. It's impossible. I know. So we'll start in 23. Rhonda's back there laughing. She always tells me I don't know how to be quiet. All right, so here we go. Let's start in 23. For I received from the Lord, chapter 11, 23, for I received from the Lord... I also passed on to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it. And he said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, this cup is the new covenant of my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat of this bread and drink of this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. We'll stop there for a second. Now, I don't know what your church background is. I don't know what you were raised in, what kind of tradition you were raised in. Maybe church was your thing, maybe it's not. But there are a whole lot of differences 
in the thought process and thinking of communion. And I wish that we could spend a lot of time unpacking big fancy words like transubstantiation and consubstantiation and what happens to the elements and what we do. But the reality is, is that I think that it's a lot more simple than that. And I think this morning if we stick to a simple kind of skeleton of what Jesus is saying in these words, there's some really profound meaning that we miss when we argue the things that on some level don't matter. And as I started looking at this text, I realized that there are four things that I really see us doing and celebrating when we listen to the words of Jesus. The first thing that I see us doing is that we're remembering. He says, do this in remembrance of me. When we celebrate the Lord's Supper, we're remembering. The disciples we're remembering are actually soon to be remembering the death of Jesus Christ. But not only the death, they're remembering the life. See, the call of the church when we share in this meal is to remember the death and life of Jesus Christ. Not only the fact that our God sent His Son to the cross to die for us, but that He lived a radical, countercultural, life-changing life that calls us to a wholly different way of seeing the world. We're remembering Jesus. We're not just confessing our sins or, or, or trying to figure out you know, what we've done wrong. We're actually saying, God, I want to remember the life of your son. The Jesus that cast out demons and fed 5,000 and, and touched the tongue of a mute man. The Jesus that gave sight to the blind. The Jesus that ate in the home of prostitutes and tax collectors. The Jesus that loved me in such a radical way that he died for all my sin. The Jesus that endured torture was spit upon, was beaten, flogged, and crucified for me. See, part of celebrating this together is remembering. Remembering that it really is about Jesus. That this isn't a ritual or a habit, but a cause for us to remember the life of Jesus Christ. Death, resurrection, and walking this earth. So the first thing that we do is that we do this in remembrance of Jesus. They're his words. We remember his life and his death. The second thing I see in here is I see this as we are uniting. We are literally being united. Now, if I had time, I would have used the first few verses and even some of the last ones in that 17 through 34 range because Paul uses the phrase, come together, in those short verses five times. Five times Paul says, when you come together around the table, when you come together as a community to celebrate the Lord's Supper, when we come together, the Lord's Supper is a community event. It's both uniquely personal and intentionally communal all at the same time. It's actually a lot like our relationship with Jesus. I mean, we have this personal love relationship we're called into with Jesus Christ that is meant to be lived out in community. You see that great kind of paradigm there? That we have this personal, deep love relationship with the living God that we live out together. The Lord's Supper is really the same thing. We are uniting. We are coming together as a body to celebrate it in unity. But we're taking it individually. 
It's a unique perspective of what is to know and be in relationship with Jesus Christ. We also are being united with believers, not only around the world, but throughout history. 1 Corinthians 10, 17 is reminding us, Paul's also talking about the loaf and the Lord's Supper. He says, there is one loaf that we all share. In other words, all believers, all walks of life, all places, whether you're in Guatemala or Bosnia, we're celebrating the same thing. One loaf, meaning one body, one Jesus Christ broken for us. What it means is that we're celebrating with believers that have gone before us throughout history. Now, if you think about the weight of that statement, if you really contemplate it for a minute, that's incredibly powerful. To think that for thousands of years, men and women have lost their lives because they believed in Jesus Christ. That men and women have been killed because they took communion in a hostile country. That when we share in the Lord's Supper, we are sharing as a community of believers across time. That it's not just us isolated in some reception hall. But we're partnering with the body of believers through time and place to say, God, this is not just about me. But this is about the, the community. So we're remembering, we're uniting, we're also proclaiming. Jesus says this. He says that when you do this, when you drink of this cup and you take this bread, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. You know the Lord's Supper is actually a proclamation of the gospel. It is a proclaiming of the Lordship of Jesus Christ. You proclaim the Lord's death. Now, if you think theologically about that statement, it's actually really powerful because the Lord is referring to Jesus. So you proclaim the Lord's death. When we refer to Jesus as Lord, we're referring to Jesus as deity. We're referring to Jesus as God. That Jesus has absolute sovereignty and power in our lives. Now think about Jesus gathered with the disciples, looking at them, having yet to go to the cross and yet to be raised from the dead. And he says, when you do this, you're proclaiming the Lord's death. The disciples, they're not there yet. They've yet to even see all these things. We have the gift of hindsight, being able to look back and know that Jesus was resurrected and all those things. But the disciples are clinging to what they know about Jesus. And as Peter had mentioned a a few weeks prior, you are the Lord, you are the Messiah. Peter was claiming Jesus' deity, which was basically a death sentence. When we take communion the Lord's Supper, we are proclaiming the deity of Jesus Christ. It's why communion is is honestly, it's an event and a meal for believers. And if you're here today and you're not a believer, we're so glad you're here and we celebrate it in the presence of everybody. But really, when we take communion, it's for the believing body to say, I believe that you are Lord, that you have authority and sovereignty and power in my life. And I recognize not only my desperate need, for you, but the fact that you are Lord in my life. We remember, we're united, we proclaim, and then the final is that we anticipate, or we're anticipating. We're proclaiming the Lord's death until what? Until He 
comes. In Matthew chapter 26, Jesus says it this way. He says, I, Jesus, won't take or drink the fruit of the vine again until I do it with you in my Father's kingdom. See, the Lord's Supper is really about anticipation. It's about realizing that this world is not the end. That we are anticipating a greater and eternal life beyond this place. A place where there will be no more tears, no more pain, no more sorrow. That we know and can count on the fact that God is eternal and has a plan that outweighs all the temporary struggles and pain of this world. And that we can hold on to that future glory. When we share this meal together, we're remembering the death and life of Jesus Christ. We're united together as a community, both here and across time and place. We're proclaiming that Jesus is Lord of my life. And I'm saying, God, this isn't the end. I'm anticipating that this world is just a vapor. And that there is an eternal glory that far outweighs everything. You see how sad it is that somehow in our churches we've turned communion on some level in a lot of our lives into just a ritual when there's so much power in what we do together. Think about all those things we're doing that are just in those few words of Jesus. In addition to those things that we do and celebrate, there's a few things that are being affirmed too. The first is that Christ is affirming his love for us. When he takes the bread and he says, this is my body broken for you. And this is my blood poured out in a new covenant. Which is basically saying, a wide open to whoever, forgiveness of sin, sealed in my blood. I'd love to get into theological kind of depth of that. Maybe we will one day. But he's saying, this is my body broken, my blood shed. We're really seeing that God is affirming this extravagant, crazy, unbelievable relentless pursuing love over us a love that would send his own son to the cross to be crucified beaten outcast and killed when we take the lord's supper together we remember that that god even in my messed up sinful garbage ridden life you are absolutely in love with me enough to die for me every time we do this together it reaffirms in our hearts This extravagant love. It's a love you hear me talk about all the time. Because it keeps coming up over and over again in scripture. We are also affirming our faith in Jesus Christ. Taking communion, we're saying, or taking the Lord's Supper, we're saying, God, I trust you. I believe in your son, Jesus. I desperately need you to forgive me of my sin and give me life. Those are the things that we're affirming and are being affirmed. Now, for a lot of us, maybe you never knew that there was all that wrapped up in this. But it's been such an integral part of the life of the community throughout history. And I wanted to make sure that we, in a short time, understood that this isn't an empty or hollow ritual. But it's an act of passion poured out through the love of God displayed on a cross. For us to remember and unite and proclaim and anticipate this extravagant, crazy love. Now, I'd actually do a really disservice to everybody if I didn't finish reading this text. Because I need to share a word of warning. 
And it's a word that I need you to listen to closely because it's really important. And most of the church wants to pretend it's not here. But I'd do a disservice to it if we didn't read it. And I want to read it to you. Look at verse 27. It says this. Therefore, whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of sinning against the body and the blood of the Lord. A man ought to examine himself before he eats the bread and drinks the cup. Remember what Paul's doing here. The church had taken this celebration, this meal, and they had turned it into a perversion of sorts. They combined it with other things and they were turning it into a feast that had really no celebration of what God was doing and Paul's correcting them. He shares the words of Jesus and he says, now listen to me. If you take it in an unworthy manner, you're heaping judgment on yourself. Examine yourself. Now notice this, unworthy is not about action. It's about condition of the heart. All of us are absolutely, totally unworthy. That's beyond shadow of a doubt. But unworthy is about the condition of our heart. See, we don't approach the Lord's Supper or communion lightly. But it takes self-examination and humility. And in a word, it's about looking inwardly, recognizing who God is and who we're not. So the challenge of understanding the power of those last few verses is this. The sacrifice that Jesus made on the cross is radical and it's real. And that God is just that. He is God to be approached with reverence and holiness. I think on some level our Christian subculture has done a terrible disservice to our kind of new wave of postmodern Christians because we've created buddy Jesus. We've created this Jesus who's our best friend, our sort of pal around kind of God. And while Jesus is certainly our best friend, he's also God. And the Bible is full of references that we don't approach God lightly, that we approach God with fear and trembling, with reverence and awe, with this inspiring wonder. And part of that is played out at this table. That we're called to approach God with humility and in wonder and awe. Being worthy is not about living a right life. It's about saying, God, make my heart right. It's about saying, God, I don't want to approach this lightly. I want to lay my hurt out before you. Ask you to heal me. And then as I take this communion, this Lord's Supper, I want it to be a reminder and a proclamation and anticipation of your love. And I want to take it with my heart being wide open to you. It doesn't mean we have to be perfect. It just means we've got to recognize that God is God. And so this morning what I thought we'd do in preparation for communion is we'd do just that. We'd self-examine with humility our own hearts. So we're going to show a little video, and this video really is just a way of of challenging you to think about what you really think about these elements, this bread, this cup, how you approach the table of God. And take a look at that and just ask God to prepare your hearts as we prepare to take this meal together.
Matthew 11, chapter 20, or chapter 11, verse 28, Jesus says, Come to me, all you weary and burdened, and I will give you rest for your souls. This table really is an open table to all people who believe in Jesus Christ, who have put your faith and hope and trust in Him. I'm going to lead us in a little bit of a prayer, and at the end of that prayer, we're going to do and say the Lord's Prayer together, and your bulletin actually has it in there. Um, we're going to use the words debt and debtors so that those you were raised with different uh, phraseologies won't be at, at a, saying some different words. But it's in there. And so at the end of this prayer, I want to point that out to you so we could pray that together um, as we prepare to take this meal. So let's pray. God, we are grateful for how much you love us and you care for us and that you would, God, die for us. And Lord, our prayer today is that as we share in this meal, that we would be reminded of your death and life. 
They would be reminded that we are united as a community with believers across place and time. And that, God, we are proclaiming your death and anticipating a kingdom with you. God, we thank you for Jesus Christ, for his life and his death and his birth, for the resurrection, the promise of his return. God, we call on the Holy Spirit to do something miraculous, to move in our lives in a way that is undeniably a move of you. We pray that we would be joined in community and sent into the world. That God, as we share this meal together, we'll be a reminder of your extravagant, relentless, pursuing love for us. And Father, we join together as we pray the prayer that you taught us to pray, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. On that night, gathered with his disciples, on that night that he was betrayed, Jesus actually took bread like this, and he broke it. And he said, this is my body broken for you. When you do this, do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after they had eaten dinner, Jesus took the cup. And after giving thanks, he said, This cup is my blood, signed and sealed as the new covenant, shed for you and for the forgiveness of sins. When you take this bread and when we take this cup, we proclaim the Lord's death until he comes again. We're going to be taking the Lord's Supper this morning um, by means of a fancy church word called intinction, which really just means you, you pull a piece of the bread off and you dip it in the cup. And we'll have two stations. We'll have a, a guy and a girl here, and our servers will be over there as well. And what we're going to be challenging ourselves to do is to take some moments while Don the, Don the band sings to prepare your heart, to spend some time in prayer, just asking God to prepare you, self-examination, humility, much like we talked about. And then when you're ready, just come down. There's not an order or a rhyme or reason, and you can go any direction you want. It's kind of fitting for us. So just get up and move around and, and come down and, and then return to your seat. But we ask you when you return to stand, because we're going to close in worship together. So you'll pull a piece of the bread and, and dip it in the cup and then head back to your seat. Only when you're ready. I'm going to invite our servers to come down. Um, as we prepare to take communion together.
soul in the fountain that flows.